0: Hi, and welcome to the Jimboomba Baptist Church Sermon of the Week. We hope that you will be encouraged and challenged by this message. Um, turn to your neighbour and tell him what your first car was. This was mine. Well, this isn't actually it, but uh, look, it's even got SR on the back. I should have had this one. That's my initials, right? Turn around and tell him what was your first car if you if you're a driving person All right, if you're still talking, you are a hoon. Uh, officially, when we had this conversation this morning in the sound desk, it went on for a while, and all the details of the engine and what had been done to the car, and we are all hoons. We are all rev heads, all right? But this was my first car. It was a hand-me-down from our grandma, and it was sitting in our backyard. My older brother said, hey, can, we, can I use the car? And so he got it running. And it's a Toyota, super reliable. So he he uh, drove this car for ages. It was poo brown when he first uh, took it over. But eventually he painted it blue. So I inherited this 1200 beast four-cylinder Toyota Corolla, four-speed Corolla, could barely sit on the highway doing 100 because it had 70 horsepower. Though it was a very light car, only weighed 740 kilo. But... I remember uh, the different stages of learning to drive. Do you remember learning to drive? The different stages of learning to drive. And from memory, this could be wrong, but from memory, mum or dad took me to a paddock. And this was my first real driving experience. I think I was in this car. I could have been in the van. I don't even remember. But I was in this paddock out near the port of Brisbane before that was all developed. And we are bouncing around as I'm trying to you know, learn how to change gears and all this. And, and you know, and, and eventually when mum and dad were confident that I could go to the next stage of driving learning, I was down, still out the port of Brisbane on one of those vacant kind of roads, just industrial estate, right? I had my learners, this was legal, right? And, 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 and you know, going on those, on those roads where nobody was, right? And then my next stage was, you know, the quiet streets where there might be a car or two, but it was very quiet, right? Do you remember these stages of driving? And you freak out at each, like, oh, no, there's another car, you know, and it progresses and eventually you first drive on the highway and that's a crazy experience. Or in the city, who loves city driving with all the traffic, right? Crazy. Um, and, and you thought think Brisbane is crazy if you go down to Sydney it's insane like you just don't want to drive there well i remember one time i'd already gotten my license and you know you're still in the stages of discipleship once you get your uh, stages of driving once you get your license aren't you right yeah right red pea platers you look out for red pea platers don't you we didn't have them in my day you look out for the pea platers but I remember one of the craziest times driving in this little thing. I was by myself. And it was during the day, but nighttime maybe would have been even more helpful. I was on the highway, which this car struggled to even, you know, it was a light car. You get blown around a lot. But it was pouring rain. Pour, not just raining. It was pouring rain. You know that kind of thick rain that your windscreen wipers can't keep up with? I can't see barely anything. Uh, my dad told me, just keep an eye on that white line there and I'm just trying to... And you can barely see cars in the distance with their tail lights. But every time a truck would go by, I'd lose total vision. I could not see at all. Like nothing. It was just white. Now I'm just praying and I can't slow down. You can't do that on the highway, can you? You can't slow down because then someone might be coming. So I'm trying to maintain speed and every truck that goes by, I'm sitting on 100, and they're speeding past at whatever, and I can't see a thing, and I didn't die. And I knew I'd graduated another stage of my driving experience. Today we're talking about our stages of discipleship. Can, can you just click that to the next one there? Uh. I might get you to control that for me, Derek. If uh... We're talking about stages of discipleship. And each stage, interestingly, you don't necessarily just go from one to the next. Some people jump stages. And, and I'll give some examples maybe as I go through here. But as we go through, I want you to ask the question, where are you? In terms of stages of our discipleship in becoming like Jesus, like this is this is like Jesus in character, Christ-like, which means like Jesus in his actions too, how he lived, but in our shoes. Like we shouldn't be trying to replicate exactly the ministry of Jesus by flying to the Middle East and you know doing the things he did, but if Jesus were living in my shoes today, how would he be living? What does Full measure of Christ look like in my shoes and so we're going to go through these stages of a discipleship and I just want you to ask the question honestly where are you where are you and it won't be a black and white answer and you know what parts of your life might be in one stage and other parts might be in another stage but let's just go through these this morning ready first one Contra, I think I've got it now, Derek, thank you. Contra, this means against, against. So this stage of discipleship is probably for those who aren't disciples. They're not disciples. They are knowingly or unknowingly against Jesus, not going with Jesus. Willingly or unwillingly against Jesus, explicitly or implicitly against Jesus. Think of Saul of Tarshish, like Paul. He was so against Christianity. Wasn't he wasn't. He was killing Christians. He was imprisoning Christians. But it's not always like unknowingly being against and opposition. Sometimes it's unknowingly. And I think of Nathanael in John chapter 1. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we've found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom uh, and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth. Son of Joseph Nazareth Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Peter. Nathanael was a guy who was not on Jesus' side at this point. He was like a uh, an unknowing contra against. He was contra Jesus. He had disbelief and skepticism, and we get all kinds of people on the spectrum of uh, in this contra stage of discipleship. Against we get the religious rejectors. We get the irreligious rejectors. I'm pretty hopeful though because we've got examples of all these different types of coming of people coming to know Jesus. You know, if you ever write someone off as, well, that person's just so evil or so against the purposes and will of God. Just think of Paul. Murderer of the church. Terrorist in his day, so to speak. No one is beyond the grace of God. And some who are just like, Jesus, what any good could Jesus do in my life? Don't worry, they're in Nathaniel. What do we do? Come and see. We invite them. Come and see. Now, if you're in the room thinking, well, I'm not contra, because look, we're all Christians. Scott, we're all Jesus followers. I'm not contra. Are there, however, areas of your life that are contra Jesus? I bet there are. I bet there are in my life. We all have areas that are still contra Do we curse our enemies? Do we gossip? Do we cause division? Do we harbour hate? And the list could go on where we are directly in contradiction to Jesus' teaching. But generally speaking, we're probably not in contra, are we? Just parts of our life. The next stage is this. Consumer. 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 A consumer is not against Jesus. A consumer is for Jesus. But why? For the benefit of who? <laughs> the one consuming. We follow Jesus for his benefits. We've got lots of examples of this in the Gospels. The crowds were consumers, weren't they? They followed Jesus. Why? Because he was giving them stuff. Giving them the teaching that they wanted to hear. Their ears were hungry for it. They're Their stomachs even were hungry. They got their fill. They got uh, encouraged by him. Many got healed by him. He attracted the crowds, but the crowds were largely what? Consumers. Consumers. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't go, you dirty consumers, get away from me, you know? Now, there are points of real challenge that he gives. But generally speaking, doesn't he welcome the crowds? He welcomes consumers. Now, if, if we get a bit religious at times, we can be like, what are you doing? What are you even doing in church? Or what are you doing saying you follow Jesus? You're just after his benefits. That's that's actually okay. Uh, and the Bible says, even, go and read Psalm 103. But God has no problem with people being in this place. But he doesn't want them to stay there, does he? wants them to move on. But we get all kinds of consumers, the crowds, the curious, the cautious that even probably fall among the curious. I even think, in terms of consumers, these guys, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Sometimes we read this passage and be like, wow, these guys were so full of faith. They were amazing. Look at them. They just dropped everything, their livelihood, and go and follow Jesus. Their livelihood were fishermen, (laughs) not the top of the rung, You know, not the top rung of the ladder. They were leaving this profession. They were nobodies. And they were following someone who was a somebody. They had something to benefit by following Jesus. And I kind of assumed that the father was like, yeah, this gives you a chance in life. Go and follow that rabbi. I think they left their nets because they felt they had something to gain. And I think what affirms that is when you read the rest of the Gospels and how they talk. They were selfish followers. What's in it for me? Notice that they were after their idea of the kingdom of God. Remember? This is what they were after. They wanted to sit at Jesus' right and left. They wanted to be the kingpins. They were after something. They were following Jesus because they were still consumers. What's in it for me? Think about the rich young ruler. Why did he come to Jesus? Jesus, Jesus, what? What must I do to what? Inherit eternal life. He was a consumer. Because when Jesus said, actually, here's what's going on in your life, he turned away sad. Consumers are in it for what they can get. Consumers reflect the culture that they're in. We are in a consumer culture. Uh, uh, con- being consumers means that Jesus has fans, not followers, not true followers. Uh, people follow for convenience or for comfort or security. You know, I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm just following Jesus just for security in life. It's kind of like the shopping, the, the shopping or going to the store uh, mentality. When you go to the shops, you don't go to serve, do you? (laughs) You don't go to give something. You go to gain. We go to the shops because we're consumers. We might have to hand some things over, like money, to get what we want, but we're going completely with a consumer mindset. What do I need? What do I need? And this isn't completely bad, by the way, but it's me focused. Ultimately, it's me focused. The church can obviously be very consumer focused. Uh, if we come, if we see church as something that is for us, we've got it wrong, actually, because we are the church. What can the church do for me? What church suits my needs? You know, there's the whole, well, I'm going to go to a church and I'd like a few worship songs, not too loud, but not too quiet. Some, you know, upbeat, not, you know, maybe a slow one so I can have some contemplative time. I want a sermon with like a little bit of challenge, but not too much challenge, like go easy, you know. I want to leave encouraged, okay. And then I want a bit of, you know, quiet, reflective time. Um, I want the pastor to be funny and good looking. There you go, guys. I, I tick those boxes. Uh, I want a kids program because I don't want to hear my own kids in the service. That would be terrible. And um, I want to kind of do it with people that look like me and talk like me and kind of live like me because, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable if they don't. <laughs> you know, like this is how churches often view. And, and unfortunately, if you look at the stats of, of, of churches, this is often the truth. Discipleship can even be a consumer thing turn it into. Hey, what book have you read lately? Oh, I read this book. I'll read that one. Oh, good. Yum, 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 yum. Yeah, that's a good book. Hey, that was a good book. Here, eat this one. Yum, 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 yum. Hey, that was a good Christian movie. Hey, you should watch that Christian movie. Yeah, yum, 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 yum. You know, hey, you know, have you done this course? No, I haven't. Oh, good. It's a really good course. Really yummy course. Yum, 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 yum. And we're just consumers. Oh, you know, discipleship. And it's just consuming what we enjoy or information or whatever but it's not really growing us in our discipleship with Jesus. That can just be a consumer thing, can't it? it can be really good things too. I like books. I like courses. I like some Christian movies. <laughs> the reality is we all have consumer areas in our life, don't we? Um, it would be nice to say, to look out in culture because consumer the consumer mindset is just a reflection of culture, right? Which means we're being discipled by culture rather than by Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to look out in culture and go, oh, these this people and these groups are consumers. We're not. The reality is now, though, if you live in the Western culture, and a pastor uh, down in Melbourne, Mark Sayers, who is a brilliant Christian mind and cultural commentator, godly guy and and he says this he says you know what the reality is if we're living in this culture we are consumers now it's not a matter of like we gotta you know push it we are consumers just from living in our culture for long enough we're consumers we just are because we live in a consumer culture we're, we're in the water that is around, we're swimming in the water that's around us. We don't know the difference. We're, we're deeply, this is deeply ingrained in us. And so we need to find the answer for this. We need to be discipled by Jesus. Now Jesus of course is okay with the crowds being consumers and welcoming the crowds. But of course, he doesn't want them to stop there. He calls us up, doesn't he? So, where's he called us to? So, we don't want to be contra, though we've got areas in our life that are contra. We don't want to be consumers, though we certainly have areas in our life where we are consumers. Contributor. Contributor. A contributor is a follower. There is discomfort in contributing. A contributor serves. A contributor gives. And what is required when you contribute is sacrifice. A contributor is not just thinking of themselves, as the consumer is, everything in the consumer's Mind is all about, well, how does this, you know, is this for me? How do I gain? But the contributor is not just thinking of self, but requires some outward looking. Some looking at other people, uh, looking at others' needs. The contributor can be very countercultural. However, can still be very cultural too. I mean, how many of the sentiments today is like, well, yes, I contribute and I serve or I give because it makes me feel good, because it, you know, it benefits me in some way. And you know a lot of the self-help today and the popular TV shows that are giving people advice, a lot of self-help advice are all about the, well, you do this because of great fulfillment in your life. You go and serve those kids in Africa because it fulfills you. And the driving force often is just still self fulfillment. It's still a self focus. It's you know, with the with the uh, contributor, the heart is unknown. The heart is unknown. It may be coming from a great heart. It may be coming from a heart that is just as selfish as a consumer. It may be a self promotion. It may be a, I give so that I get. I think of the disciples again in this situation. Uh, the story that came to my mind was this, the 72 returned. So Jesus had sent out the 72 with authority to heal sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, all this stuff. And the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You know, and you kind of got to read between the lines as you read this whole story. The disciples are like pretty kicking that they've got this authority, right? They're like, check this out, Jesus. Like it surprises Jesus or something, you know, like it impresses him. He's the one that gave them the authority to do that in the first place. But you can see this kind of like, look, Jesus, look, wow, look what we did, you know. And Jesus doesn't just shut them down, he kind of reorients them and says, look, actually, you should be rejoicing that your names are written in heaven. (laughs) Like, don't rejoice so much over this stuff. But I just see a bunch of disciples who are still ultimately. They're contributing but for something. Uh, isn't this true of even the twelve? Till quite late in the story. They're still thinking Jesus is going to be set up as King and they're going to be one of his henchmen that get to have the authority, live in the palace, you know, have this, you know, great life with King Jesus. And they're asking him these questions right up until he goes to get crucified. But when he gets crucified things get turned upside down a little, don't they? Think of Judas. He was contributing a lot. I mean, he had his hand in the money bag too. <laughs> but he's contributing, he's going around doing the stuff, or at least being with the guys who are doing the stuff, it seems. Peter, he was like the keen denier, wasn't he? He was following Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'll even die for you. He's so keen, isn't he? Pete, you know. Keen Peter, but then he denies Jesus. Jesus has to rebuke him at one point because Peter's objectives were not the same as Jesus' objectives. Get behind me, Satan. So even though Peter is contributing to this cause, there's still something off. The works and purposes of Jesus are kind of being done, but the followers of Jesus are misinformed and misguided. Isn't it true that we love the idea of serving Jesus until people treat us like a servant? (laughs) Do you like the idea of following Jesus until he goes off our path or our agenda? I like the idea of worshipping Jesus until it means, well, not worshipping ourselves or having self-interest. We like the idea of giving to Jesus until it really costs us something. We like the idea of submitting to Jesus until it means submitting to others. I'll submit to Jesus, but I don't want to submit to others. We like the idea of being led by Jesus until it leads us to discomfort. We contribute up until. We contribute up until. We contribute up until. And we have our places of up until. This is where I draw the line. This is where I stop contributing this is where my decision has come to these are my boundaries these are my borders and jesus is calling us way deeper than to be contributors you know what it'd be a massive step forward for a lot of jesus followers to become true contributors but jesus is actually calling us further and deeper than to be contributors you know that Definitely, he calls us out of being contra him. Definitely, he calls us from being consumers. But I think he even calls us on from being a contributor to where he really wants us. And this is where he really wants us to be crucified. A true self denier. A true servant, called a leader, follower. Meaning, we're always following Jesus, but that means we're we are called to be a leader. He never leaves you not as a leader in your spheres of influence. He'll always call you if you're following Jesus to be a leader of something. That doesn't need to be a formal, you know, um, position or anything. But he calls us to be fully mature. Disciples of him. Grown up into the full stature of the measure of Christ. What's that look like? The crucified Messiah. Jesus completely surrendered his life to the Father. Completely. He didn't contribute up until a point. He was completely surrendered to the Father and for the Father. Lived a sacrificial life. The purpose is he lived, were totally counter-cultural. They were kingdom cultural. That's kingdom culture. Look at what Paul says in Romans 12. You know this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... By the way, what was God's mercy? Sending Jesus for us. In view of God's mercy. In view of Jesus, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Worship doesn't just happen on Sunday. Worship happens all through the week because it's an appropriate response to who God is and what He has done, which means a totally sacrificial life to Him. Totally sacrificed on the altar. You know, a sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Think of the metaphor Paul is using here. A sacrifice was usually dead on the altar. It was given totally over to the altar. We're we're called to be a living sacrifice. Not just dead and not moving, but living in every way, surrendered on the altar before God for totally His purposes, to be used for His purposes, to be used for His will, to be used in His way, totally for Him. And Jesus was crucified because his will was totally surrendered to the Father, and there was no contributing up until. It was contributing regardless. And we're called to this life. Paul says this, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And this is true of every Christian. It's what makes you a Christian, that you've been, by putting your faith in Jesus and what he's done for us at the cross and resurrection. We are united with him. This is what saves us from our sin. We've been united with him, which means we've been put to death with him. Our old self has been put to death with, cru- with Jesus on the cross, we've been crucified with him. But we've also been raised with him to new life. So now we live through Christ. That's why Paul saying, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me or through me. This is the way of life. This is meant to be the normal Christian. Like this isn't meant to be radical Christianity, by the way. This is meant to be normal Christianity. Notice how we do that. Are oh, they radical Christians? No, no, they're just Christians doing what they're meant to be doing. You know, we start saying people are radical Christians because we're uncomfortable with where we're at. Are you uncomfortable with where you're at? I am. I think it's okay to be uncomfortable with where you're at. Because if you're comfortable, you're not going to want to keep growing, and maybe you're not growing. Paul talks about being crucified with Christ, and he was the guy that jumped from contra to crucified. He didn't go through these stages of being a consumer or a contributor up until, didn't he? It was a radical life transformation from totally contra The Jesus way to being the biggest advocate for Christ and going to his death for Jesus. Peter, who was a consumer and then a contributor, he actually became a crucified disciple and he actually gave his life for the gospel. And church history tells us that he was crucified upside down. He didn't want to be crucified the right way up because he didn't see, didn't deem himself worthy to be, to suffer in the way that Jesus suffered. So asked to be crucified upside down. And if you read the small letters from Peter in the New Testament, now he talks about suffering so much. You don't see that in the Gospels, do you? Because that's still consumer Peter. That's still contributor Peter. But as he has matured, seeing what Jesus did, and the Holy Spirit came into him and really changed that man, he became... A man who saw suffering as something to rejoice in when you're suffering for Jesus' name. Because we're sharing in his suffering. This is incredible, isn't it? We don't we don't suffer in the West for our faith. We just don't. We don't. Like mediocre level at best, like you know. And now Peter is writing to believers about suffering for Jesus, about being in true submission for the Lord's sake, about following Jesus' example of self-sacrifice and demonstrated it by his own death. We are called church to grow up into the full stature of Christ. The full stature. And I just, those, those words of Jesus echo in my ears. But Father, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. We're called to die to ourself, to surrender daily. We know we don't cut it, which is why it's daily surrender, daily asking the Holy Spirit, do this in me. Crucify those parts of me that just don't align with Jesus. Yeah, as we read our Bible daily, Part of it is, Holy Spirit, what are you going to put your finger on today that needs to die, that needs to die? And remember, dying is a good thing because dying brings life. Wherever the area of death happens, that is a fresh soil for life to spring up. Wherever the seed, the dead seed drops, that's where the, the, the life can come and flourish. In our daily reading of the Bible, what's the Holy Spirit putting his finger on? In our prayer... In our daily prayer, and as we pray daily, what is God putting His finger on today? As a community, uh, those who are close to you, what are they saying to you, encouraging in your life? Are there words of gentle words of correction there? In our worship together, our corporate worship, where we sing together or just be together. What is the Holy Spirit highlighting as we engage with God? What is the Holy Spirit highlighting as we engage with God, as we truly engage with him? And as we listen to the Holy Spirit, what is he telling us to do? If you close your eyes with me for a second, Holy Spirit. First, would you reveal the goodness and life that God intends to bring every one of his children? Thank you, Father, that you are a good Father and you desire to bring us life and life to the full. And the only way that comes is by living a life that is crucified, totally surrendered to you. Father, would you put your finger on something that needs to be crucified this morning, something that needs to be turned from, Holy Spirit, would you show each individual what that thing is and what to turn to? What to replace that with as well. And Father, I pray over everybody here this morning, those areas that are contra to you, Lord, that you'd help us put those to death, surrender those to you. Wherever we have that consumer mindset, Father, that you'd renew our minds from the pollution of this culture that tells us to consume. Father, would you highlight those areas where we are contributors but our motive may be a little off? And help us put that motive to death. And Father, would you help us live crucified lives where we can truly say, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ in me, Christ through me, which actually brings out the true me that you've designed me to be. Thank you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like more info, please see our website at jbc.org.au. May you know Jesus' presence with you. Have a great day and God bless.